Astros. Well, it does feel like it's uh, home for me. Um, as uh, Travis stated, I was um, for seven years a pastor at uh, the Chinese Alliance Church on Gosworth Road. How many of you know that church exists? <laughs> it's tucked away in the community there. Some people don't even know it's there. Um, and my kids, I mean, my kids, uh, their ages uh, 18, 17, and 11. My 11-year-old was born in Victoria. And uh, my, my, uh, my two older girls went to school at Oakland's Elementary. Anybody here? Any kids go to Oakland's? Nobody? There's a few there. Yeah. So this does feel a bit like home for us. And uh, I do have a, a bit of ministry under my belt as a pastor, and uh, I don't, I don't like to talk like about this as though I'm boasting. But I like to introduce myself and what I'm doing in this, in the sense that I feel as though God's calling me to be a missionary in Canada. And so, what I'd like to suggest that I'm doing, and inviting other people to join me in, is uh, being an urban missionary. That makes sense. So that's kind of if you want to try to figure out who I am or what I'm doing, that would be a good way to go about it. I'm going to ask the. Um, I'm sorry, I put your name. The Vivian. Thank you, um, Vivian. I'm going to ask you to scroll the slides all the way to the pictures, please. I'm going to introduce Sanctuary to you and some of what we've been doing, and then I'm going to come back and uh, share a little bit about uh, that uh, scripture reading that we just we just read and heard. So this is uh, one of my board members, Carlos. He's a, ch- a businessman. He runs a restaurant called Stubborn Chef over here at uh, University Heights Mall, but uh, he was in Chinatown, and that's him helping us with a fundraiser in Chinatown. Some volunteers, some of you might know Gloria. She's on the right. And that's my administrative assistant, Liz. Carlos again and some of our youth. And by the way, Damien's here with us. He's from Sanctuary. Big shout out to Damien. Next slide. No, that's that's me. I don't know why that's in there. Those are some games we're playing, yeah. Keep going. And some of the youth we serve. Uh, this is uh, Devin and his uh, girlfriend Whitney as they're about to, we have a, we did a baby shower for them. Um, Sage, painting the stairway. I got him to work and I paid him. Uh, There's a new paint job. Some of you might have been to Sanctuary before. Remember, it was kind of a yellow-orange. Now it's green. <laughs> we did that on the wall. And that's us in action. We could just hold that for a minute because there's a lot going on there. Uh, we'll go back to that slide. Uh, thank you. And so in the background, you'll see a lady at the pool table. Her name is Anna. She's my UVic. Uh, uh, she's doing a practicum with us. And she's helping us, us out a lot. And really appreciate her being with us. Um, we play a game around the pool table every time we meet. It's called Firth. If you'd like to learn what that game is all about, uh, come talk to me later. I do have newsletters, and I describe that game. But it's a game that where we invite youth to come participate in. It's competitive. It's fast. 
and uh, it really challenges the youth to get out of their comfort zone and join in and play. And at the same time, we find as they do that, the barriers between us and them kind of get, they disappear. We're rubbing shoulders, we're pushing each other out of the way, and we're playing hard. So we'll go to the next slide. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, Thanksgiving meal we had together. Uh, this is Zach. He's one of the young people that drop into the center, and he's being employed part-time at Stubborn Chef right now, and he's learning a trade. Birthday cake for Kirby, and some of the art we've been doing. Uh, past fundraiser, and this is Douglas. He helped me with the clothing racks, and we're filling those racks up with clothing, donated clothing to give to, to youth as they need it. And this was uh, this is Jaden. He's uh, his mother is a part of Sanctuary for years past, and uh, before I even got here, Jaden was uh, uh, Jaden's mother was given a baby shower, and a lady understood that he was around, and so she sewed him that sweater and the 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 toque. A new sign. And donated backpacks. A lady from First Church of the Nazarene donated 30 backpacks, which we gave out filled with Christmas goodies at Christmas. And those are the goodies that we put in the backpacks. That's how we celebrated Christmas this year. December 20th, we had a meal and we gave out gifts at Christmas. And uh, that's one of the gals that won with the gingerbread uh, decorations. And she got a subway card. We really go far with the subway cards. We give them away as gifts. If they win at Firth, well, they might get a subway card. If they do something like this. So they do me a, do a job for me. If you'll see a couple slides later, you'll see. Uh, let's keep going, please. Thanks. And uh, Anyway, we'll come to it. There's a lady cleaning the windows. There you go. We gave her a subway card for washing the windows. You know, sometimes, uh, by the way, youth uh, don't just come there expecting to get. I get many times young people coming going, what can I do to get a bus ticket? What can I do to get a subway card? And I'll put them to work. And uh, what does that say? It kind of um, destroys some of the assumptions that we make about people in need. They're not always just wanting to get and not give back. And so maybe we'll come back to that in our message. But let's go back to the text now. And that's a little bit about sanctuary. Right now, I'm sorry, we, we should go give you a little bit of information. Uh, we have about 50 visits a week. And uh, when I came in April, the Sanctuary Youth Center had been shut down, as many of you know, from probably January, February, and March. And so when I came in April, it was like pushing the reset button. And the verse the Lord gave me was, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And so um, we've been exploring with the board what that newness looks like. What is it going to look like to be Sanctuary Youth Center under new leadership in the years to come? And so we've got a new paint job. <laughs> and we've got some other ideas we want to explore. And I'm going to come back to that in my message. But... Uh, we get about 50 visits a week. I'm so thankful for the volunteers we have. We probably have about 20 on our, on our volunteer list. We're looking for more. 
We serve a warm meal every time we meet. We meet um, Fridays, Saturdays, and this week's the first time we've done this, open Sunday, from 3 till 6. Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays from 3 till 6. If you ever want to come by, have a look at the place. If you've never been there before, you want to see what we're doing, you're more than welcome to come. We've had a few youth groups coming to participate, to serve, to prepare a meal, or to just come play, and uh, we're more than welcome to um, make that happen as well. Um, we are doing well with our budget. We are, we are uh, in the black, so to speak. And all, all praise to God for that, because when I came here, there was a little bit of concern about how that was all going to turn out. So I'm just so thankful for churches like yours that support us uh, prayerfully, who give, and um, we do covet that uh, relationship to continue. But uh, to our message today, something close to my heart, and my title of my message today is Star Trek Jesus. <laughs> I think I might have, uh, any Star Trek fans here? Let's see those, sh- those hands again, don't be shy. <laughs> okay, there we go. We'll come back to the why I, why I titled this message that way in a second, okay? A question I want to start with is, um, is simply this. Are there social issues that we tend to ignore or spiritualize away and not get involved in? Are there social issues that we tend to ignore or spiritualize away and therefore not get involved in? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Father in heaven, as I pray before, I pray again that you would illuminate our minds, activate our wills, inspire our hearts to the glory of God and to the benefit of mankind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you are keeping up to speed with what's happening with Trinity Western University? Anybody? Any of you? All right. So, how many of you know what provinces will accredit law students from Trinity Western? New Brunswick, just in the news last week. Any other provinces? Saskatchewan's on the fence, and Manitoba. Other provinces have put a thumbs down and voted against the idea of accrediting law students from Trinity Western University. Any idea why? Pardon me? Policy. That's correct. The covenant, they require students to sign. It's throwing a big hiccup into things, isn't it? It's lovely. I love it. (laughs) I love it because there's a school that's saying we are not going to be ashamed of what it is we believe and what we stand for, and we dare to be different. Isn't that lovely? Now, at the, as I was coming to church today, I was having a debate with my wife. Would we send our kids to that school, Trinity Western? <laughs> and I would say yes, and she would say, just a minute. Is it going to jeopardize the future of any students that go there? Of course. As parents, we want our kids to have a bright future. We want them to do well at school 
and excel and go on into a successful career, right? Would we send them to a school that might jeopardize their future? Is this an issue that Jesus cares about? The reason I bring that up, and not to dwell on that particular issue, but my message today, if it says anything, it's that Jesus cares about our everyday issues. And I know that we are being prepared for eternity with him. But what does that mean and imply for our lives here on earth? What are the gospel implications for the here and now? The gospel has to say something about our families and the condition of our society in Canada. And Trinity Western is daring to say something about what the gospel implies for families, for marriage makeup. Are there social issues we tend to ignore, neglect, spiritualize away? There's a story, and I won't go too deeply into it, but in the 1960s, the United States and the South, and I understand uh, your pastor, Travis, just came from Texas. He might speak to this issue better than I would, because I've never lived in the United States. But I have worked with Filipino and Chinese for the last 12 years, so I kind of have an idea of what this might be getting at, and that is the issue of racism. In the 1960s in the South, racial tensions were high. The federal government sought to end segregation. Reverend Marsh was a pastor of a well-known First Baptist Church in Mississippi. He and it were the pillars of that community. They were the model Christians. Also living there was a fellow named Sam Bowers. He was the imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and they terrorized African-Americans throughout the region. Bowers was suspect of plotting at least nine murders of American, African-Americans and civil rights workers. At the time, there were 75 bombings of African-American churches, numerous beatings and physical assaults. I want to ask you, what was Reverend Marsh's sermons like at the time? What did he preach on? while this was going on in his, his world, in society, in their town. What was the message? The message was, stay clean, be pure, which is good, be holy, and come to church. That was it. I'm, I'm just recording what I've read, okay? I've just researched this. I don't know the pastor. I don't know... Their history, but what I've been told and what I've researched is that this was the message be holy and come to church. Now, if I had been in his shoes, I don't know if I could have done more because the moment you stand against something, you could jeopardize your job, your children at school, and on and on it goes. Could we say that we would do any differently? It's easy for us now to say that because we're far removed from it. But this was his message. Now James 1.27 says that we should keep ourselves unspotted from the world. But it also says we should look after orphans and widows, doesn't it? And while he preached personal piety and the hope of heaven, people were being lynched. Churches were burning. 
what would he what would Jesus do in this situation? What would he ask of us if we were there at the time? Again, I want to come back to that question. Are there social issues we tend to ignore, neglect, or spiritualize away? I believe that Jesus would have his church follow him into places of brokenness, into places that are from what I what I would consider horrible that are dangerous, that are not nice. Some of the things that we're hearing when I go to sanctuary, what kids have experienced and, are, and uh, sins that have been done to them and sins that they're committing against others and maybe against themselves, it's horrible. I... I, I um, I go to the pastoral uh, luncheons, and this last Thursday I went to one. And I, I want to just say, what a relief. What a blessing just to come to, mini- to be ministered to. Because what I'm facing and what I'm up against and what we're up against at Sanctuary Youth Center is something huge. And sometimes it's terrible, and sometimes it's heartbreaking. And there's girls with scars on their wrists. And I have to call the cops or the ambulance sometimes. It's not nice. These kids are hurting. And we need people to stand in the gap for them. And I thank you for supporting me in that. But Jesus would have his church follow him into places of brokenness and not kind of spiritualize things away. And much of North American spirituality sometimes confines Jesus to being more like a Star Trek Jesus. Now that's where we come to our title. In Star Trek, there's a neat kind of a a gimmick that they have when the uh, Trekkies get into trouble. What is it? You know, they're exploring and, uh, uh, pardon me? Beam me up, Scotty. Exactly. When I'm in trouble, all I have to do is call Scotty and he's going to get me out of there with some kind of vaporizing machine and whatever it is and all of a sudden my physical body is going to just kind of immaterialize and then appear somewhere else wouldn't that be great (laughs) I wonder if that's somehow sometimes what we believe about our eschatology Jesus is coming the rapture is going to come and he's going to take us out of here so what does it matter what happens here The world can go to hell in a handbasket. I don't care. Because I'm going to heaven. I have a place in heaven. And my name's written in the book of life. And I don't really care what happens here. And I sometimes wonder if that's what we think. Is that what we really think? Is that what we really believe? What we preach? I don't believe that Jesus does not care about the world that we live in. I believe the gospel has implications for the here and now. And so that's why I want us to look at that text. If we could look at Colossians 1, 15 to 20, please. And I think I've got it up on a slide. I just want you to have a look at it. We've read it already, so have a look at it. And I want you to want to see who of you can figure out what is the word or the phrase most often repeated in the text. Just have a minute there to look at it. 
What's that? All things. Jesus died and sustains and came to reconcile what? All things. So what does that include? All things. <laughs> Everything. Law, science, the list goes down racism, politics, the economy, the environment, family, business, includes all things. Now, I was thinking of this just even as I was sitting down. The, the author of this text was Paul, and he must have, and the, the New Testament uh, uh, believers must have come to the conclusion of Jesus post-resurrection, right? Post-resurrection, Jesus died and rose again and was victorious. And they understood at that moment, wait a minute, this is way bigger than we thought. Jesus came to die and rose again to redeem and reconcile everything. In fact, he was there at creation. It belongs to him anyway, doesn't it? Abraham Kuyper said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine, this belongs to me. Would that change how we look at our business? We look at our city? Mine. That's right. <laughs> Would that change how we look at things? To know that Christ is already saying, Mine. This is mine. This belongs to me. This is my territory. I was here even before you got here. Jesus is described here as a creator, sustainer, and reconciler of everything. Yes, he died for our sins and our souls. But he also died to reconcile all that he created. Paul says something similar in Ephesians, and he says that in the context, Jesus has torn down the dividing wall that exists between God and man, between Jew and Gentile. And it would appear from these texts that Jesus cares about social issues. Jesus' death and resurrection does have social implications. And I do believe that he cares about our everyday human existence. So which Jesus do you follow? Do you follow the Star Trek Jesus, who promises to beam us up out of our present situation? Or do you follow the Jesus who died and rose again for all of creation and are you willing to walk with him and journey with him into places of brokenness? Which Jesus you choose will mean everything. I do not promise that if you follow the Colossians 1 Jesus that life will be easy for you. In fact, I could almost promise you the opposite. But I do promise that he will be with you. Timothy Keller said, Jesus, unlike the founder of many other major faiths, holds out hope for ordinary human life. 
Just think of it. When Jesus came to Nazareth, what was his first sermon? It was, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom um, for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And during my church planting experience in Saskatoon, I, I would like to say it to people when I was working there that I was uh, bivocational because I had to support myself in that church planting work. And while I was supporting myself, I did some carpentry. And uh, something I still do from time to time. But um, I was working on a job with uh, Filipino youth, youth whose parents immigrated uh, to Canada, but they had been born here. And uh, I remember having a conversation with one young fellow, and he says, when you preach, what do you preach about? He's a Roman Catholic kid, and he said, what do you preach about? I said, well, I preach, a lot of times I preach about fatherless, fatherlessness and the impact it's had on, on people, socially and on kids especially. And this caught his attention. He said, well, that's interesting, because when I go to church, I don't hear very much about that kind of thing. I hear about platitudes, about heaven, and things that really don't seem to apply to the here and now. That was, he, that was his response. And he says, you know one reason I don't go to church? I said, why? He said, because one day my dad, who goes to church with us, was approached by his neighbor, and uh, the neighbor said, um, you know, so-and-so, do you have a lawnmower? My lawnmower broke down. Would you mind loaning me your lawnmower? And, and his dad said, no, I'm sorry, uh, our lawnmower is not working either. And then the guy left, and that was that. And the kid turned to me and said, you know what? My dad lied. He didn't want to share his lawnmower. It was working fine. The neighbor was First Nation. He just didn't want to share his lawnmower with this guy because he didn't trust him. Didn't like him, maybe. That's holding this kid back from believing this stuff. A parent who's not willing to put it into practice. You know, the book of Leviticus, and I'm getting to back to the Colossians passage, talks about a number of seemingly disjointed commands. You know the parts in the Le Leviticus? How many of you let, read Leviticus? <laughs> Your past is looking. Okay. <laughs> It's a hard book to read sometimes, I admit. But you know, you know the parts where it says what to do with mold in the house and then what to do when there's menstruation. It's kind of embarrassing. Got to read it anyway. And then there's, there's the parts where what to do when an ox gets out of the pen and gores your neighbor. You know, like, it just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, right? It goes from one command to another to another. And it doesn't seem like there's any, any uh, linear train of thought, right? You know what that's saying? It's saying that we should relate all of our lives back to God. Not just what happens on Sunday, but what happens on Monday. So if Jesus died and rose again for all things, what does that mean for us? What does it mean about where we send our kids to school? What car to drive? What, uh, where to live, where to buy a house. Should you buy a house? Doesn't, doesn't God want to be involved in those kind of decisions? Who to marry? What school to go to? 
It also involves how we view poverty and justice, and I've alluded to that already. And uh, my time is slipping away, but why did Israel go into captivity? Many people answer, their first answer is because of idolatry. But I also want to point out that they performed church rituals to a T. But there was concern God had over Israel's failure to care for the poor and the oppressed. And you know that the Old Testament had a system set up for the Jewish people to care for the poor. You know, to leave gleanings in the harvest and to... Uh, to have tithes every three years and the year of jubilee and a, a, a year of fallow for the crops to give the land rest, right? But Israel failed in that. Israel was to be a sneak preview of the coming attraction. That's King Jesus. Their priorities, their debts, the poor, how they lived was supposed to be a message to the world. Hello. You too can have the same king as we do. But they failed in that, and as a result, went into exile. Isaiah 58 is written to Israel's Israelis in exile, to Jewish people. There were, where it says, look after the needy, spend yourselves on behalf of the poor, the homeless, the naked, the hungry. And so... When we look at the future of sanctuary, and I'm going to skip through some of my slides. I think we're running out of time. But as I look at sanctuary and our future, I really want to get this right. I really know God cares about the everyday stuff. And he cares about the poor. But I want to work at caring for the poor and the unfortunate in a healthy, sustainable way. Some of you know Mustard Seed has closed their doors to some of the people on the first front level, the front uh, end service to people that are in need. You know about that? It's been in the news. The reason they're doing that is to stop, pause, look at how we're doing things, and do it in such a way that we both care for the poor, but you also protect the people that are doing the work on the front line. I want to do that. I want to do what we're doing in a sustainable way, in a healthy way. Not just giving out handouts. And I think you've seen that on the slides. We're trying to find ways that we can employ youth. And one of the visions and the dreams that I have is to see if we can maybe employ youth to pay off fines. Pay off any debts that they've incurred because of, you know, mistakes they made and got into trouble with. And also, as I close, remind, be reminded that poverty is not just about people on the street. Poverty is a big word. And if you really want to understand poverty, we have to remind ourselves, and we'll go back to that. There's a graph I have on a slide. Vivian, there it is. There's different kinds of poverty, and when we look at doing this holistically, I want us to remember this slide. There's a poverty of spiritual intimacy, as evidenced by materialism. There's a poverty of community, a poverty of stewardship, and a poverty of being. 
You know, not to have money is one form of poverty, but there's a lot of different kinds of poverty. If somebody living in a house on Dallas Road can be poor, could be completely devoid of community, could be filling up their lives with material things, ignoring the spiritual hunger that they might have, trying to fill it with other things, and nothing ever satisfies. You know, alleviating poverty is not just about taking people from poor class into middle class. Because middle class Americans and Canadians, I'm sorry, characterized by a lot of things like addictions, divorce, right? Suicide. It's not just about taking people from poor classes and bringing them up to middle class. That's not the solution. That's not the end goal. The goal is to reconcile people to God. To God first, to themselves, to families if possible, and to help restore the sense of dignity and self-worth by helping them find their calling and place in the world, maybe finding a job, learning a skill, and moving on. Would you join me at praying for us, giving if you can, and maybe volunteering at Sanctuary Youth Center. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, I thank you for this church. I thank you for its people, their sincerity, their love for you, and their willingness to give and to go. I just pray, God, that you continue to help us as we tackle this big job, that you would give us the grace that we need and the strength to do it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.